0: welcome to the property funder podcast we are here today with victoria now before we start talking to victoria um first of all i want to thank you for being here to join us today. Uh, If you are new to the podcast, welcome. If you are a returning visitor to the podcast, uh, whether that's on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, whatever, um, what's taking you so long. But also, uh, if you like what you hear and what you see, please give us a five-star rating. Please like us. And if you really like us, subscribe to us so that we can speak to more interesting and inspiring people just like Victoria, who we've got here today. Now, Victoria, what's your full name? Uh, talk about your business and tell us what your business does.
1: Hi, Michael. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast this morning. Um, anyone that doesn't know me, my name's Victoria Taylor. I'm the co-founder of Cam- Camerons London. We're a residential-led property development company in London, building blocks between 40 and 100 units. We've currently got about 400 flats under construction throughout London, around across nine sites.
0: Okay. Brilliant. And could you just, just so our listeners can, uh, uh, can familiarize themselves with, with the name of your business? Could you say it again? Uh, or, Camrose or London. okay. And how, and how, and how, and how would one spell that if someone wants to look you up?
1: C A M for mother R O S E.
0: So Camrose London. Okay, great. So, um, so 400 units, Victoria, that's quite a lot of units, uh, particularly in the London market. Um, how does one get to that position? Like, how did you get to the position where you're developing out 400 units? Because as, as I know, and not, but our listeners maybe don't know, um, your route into the property development space was, should we say, not typical?
1: No, um, I had two passions in life. Um, one was to be a professional show jumper. And the other one was to be a property developer. So I followed the first route. And then in 2009, I decided to go into property development. But I had to start off at the bottom. I didn't have funds to, and I didn't know what I was doing. So I started off as an estate agent in St. John's Wood, where I met my business partner today, um, selling him individual flats to rent out. And then moved into property development, um, buying and selling, um, not buying, sorry, selling um, development sites to developers. So I worked for DI Properties, so I was an agent. And then in 2017, Simon and I, my business partner, decided to join forces and start buying development sites and buy, build and sell.
0: Okay, uh, that that's a that's a helpful summary, uh, but I'm not going to let you get away with it that easy. Um, <laughs> so we, we're going to unpick some of that. Um, talk to us about the world of show jumping. We've had we've had some people on the show um, who are, you know, quite 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 uh, keen on their equestrian uh, pursuits. Uh, I'm thinking particularly of uh, Elmarie morais for for one. Um, uh let's 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 just just tell me a little bit about uh about the world of show jumping and and what that what's what that's like and and why you decided that you ultimately couldn't couldn't keep it going you know couldn't keep the dream alive
1: sure i was a young girl that grew up in the countryside and used to watch horses go past my window and i used to say to my parents i want to ride horses um they didn't they weren't didn't have the financials to go and buy me a pony, so I started off um, going for riding lessons once a month, once a week, and then I loved it. So I started um, mucking out and um, at the Sables every weekend for a free lesson on a Tuesday, and then my parents would get me a lesson once or twice a month. Um, it's interesting, I... how can I say... My dad taught me a very valuable lesson it um, it's quite a funny story. I was a bit of a brat when I was 11 years old. I locked myself in my room and put a note on the door and said, I'm not coming out unless you buy me a pony. <laughs> so I'm um, surprised my dad held his nerve <laughs> and um, I eventually came out and I sat down and he said to me, Victoria, why do you want me to buy you a pony? And I said, because I want to be a show jumper. And he said, if you want to be the best, you have to learn from all different horses. You can't just learn from one. And so what I did is, um, he said, whenever there's a naughty horse at the yard, you just hold your hand up and jump on it. And you just learn that way. And he said, and if if you're really smart, you'll get noticed. And then people will start paying you to ride their horses. So I took that valued lesson away and I would say that's what stuck with me for the rest of my life and has made me who I am today um, and has taught me that hustle and drive and ambition because what I did is I used to ride anything that was naughty and um, used to get on anything and I learned and then at the age of 16 I got noticed and a professional show jumper said, come and be my rider. So I was like, "Great." So I packed my bags, left home, went and stayed in a mobile home on a stable yard, and forty pound a week, and I got to ride eight to ten horses a day, and obviously, I had to do all the stable jobs as well. But I traveled around Europe, I was training, and I was riding the best horses, and we used to buy horses for, say, five thousand, sell them for 100,000 and I learned that so basically I was a rider and competing across the UK
0: um okay and i mean in terms of the and in terms of that competing how did that go and and, and what what else led to you leaving the leave, leaving the sport
1: um, well how did it go it went really well um but it got to the stage when i was 19 and thought do i really want to carry on doing this earning very little money I've got experience and I'm making these people money. So at 19 years old, I decided to pack my bags and move back home. So I said to my parents, can I come back home and can you put a roof over my head? And they said, "Yep, that's fine. But what are you going to do for work? And I said, I'm going to start buying and selling horses. And so they said, that's great. But who's going to buy them for you? So I said, I'm going to get a job. So I got a job as a postwoman, posting letters for Royal Mail, and I got myself a credit card, and then it enabled me to buy my first horse on it for eight hundred pounds, and then six weeks later I traded it for six thousand pounds, and then that enabled me to start trading horses, and then I, I I set up lots of little businesses. I set up a carrot business. I used to I bought a truck for five hundred pounds, and. Um, I drove to Peterborough and uh, picked up 15 tonne of carrots. And then I decided, <laughs> well, the funniest story is that the first time I did it, I, I had to pull over because the tires went down. So I had to call the AA out and they turned around to me and said, um, Madam, you've got too many carrots on the back. And I said, well, I can't take them off. I'm on the side of the A1. So what do you, what do you want to do? And I said, I'm sure you, um," I said, have you got a bag for some, for your roast dinner tonight? (laughs) And then, um, uh, so basically ended up towing me all the way back to Hertfordshire to my stable yard. (laughs) Um, But that was good. I used to bag up carrots and then uh, go around the stables and end up making £300 from that. So, yeah, so that's my story. And then at 23, I got to the stage where I had enough of riding horses, training people And some of my clients who I used to train their horses for were very entrepreneurial, made a lot of money. And I was like, I want to be like them. And so I was always fascinated in watching property programs at home, homes under the hammer, relocation, you know, the standard ones. And then um, I thought, right, that's it. I don't want to ever ride a horse again. I just lost the complete interest and um, I decided to be a state agent. And that's how I again started off at the bottom, being a state agent, and then literally just learnt my way as as um, we go on. And yeah.
0: Okay. And so it, were, you, were you keeping it keeping the the job as a postwoman up for, while you were while you were trading the horses, or was that uh, or, or or as soon as you got that first six six grand cheque come in, uh, was that uh, was that it? You were like, right, that's it. I don't need uh, I don't need to be a postie anymore.
1: Uh, no, because um back then when you were a postwoman, I did it for about nine months, I think, something like that. Um, you earned four hundred pounds a week and I used to work from five in the morning and I'd be finished by eleven AM. So it was easy money to me. And then it just enabled me to do the horses in the afternoon. So I had the security if a horse didn't trade or it could pay for my livery, etc. So um and, so, so yeah. you
0: so you so the horses so the horses were um so you didn't own the you didn't own the livery yard you just have effectively rent a, rent a stable for rent. the ones that you yeah yeah rent yeah, yeah. rent uh, okay so okay fine and then um and then obviously the the food and the med- medical bills and, t- and stuff like that was on top of that so um uh, yeah what,
1: I, I grew it and had quite i had probably about six horses at one time i used to go to ireland i remember one time i went to ireland and shipped about 15 horses back but I used to trade so for example and this is where it comes into property with the mindset so i would have a buyer back home buy it for a certain price and then i would basically like trade the contract in to the horse um as soon as they come back
0: so so you effectively would you'd have no no none of your own actual money might would leave you know you'd actually have to pay none of your actual own money to to trade the uh, to trade the horse is is that right
1: sometimes yeah, yeah. sometimes i did and sometimes i didn't
0: and what, um, what was like? What was the best trade you ever did on a horse? Like, what was the what was the best turn you ever made on on a horse? Uh,
1: one was when I bought for five and then sold for fifty.
0: Wow, wow! But but you just you just lost the passion for it, and you decided you wanted to go on go into the property world. Um, it, it sounded like you were pretty good at what you were doing.
1: So yeah, completely. Um, but I lived and breathed it. Look, I rode ten horses a day. Um, worked 14 hours a day but I had a complete break and I could never even look at a horse people used to call me come and ride my horse I had no interest but two years ago when COVID came and lockdown happened etc a friend of mine who's a developer asked me to find him a horse for his daughter and then he said go on you've got to get on so I helped him and then he said go on I've got to see you ride I said I haven't ridden for 12 years and no behold i got on and then he said to me you're like a duck to water why on earth have you given up your passion and um he had a bit of a go at me and it made me really sit back and think and i ended up going by a three-year-old horse about three weeks later
0: (laughs) so you so you and you've still got the horse i take it and you've you've re your passion with passion for horses is reignited as a result
1: yeah, I've gone back into it as a hobby. Yeah, so it's now a love. It's not a job.
0: Um, and and do you have that? Do you have do you have stables at home, or do you or you just have a livery yard where you keep the horse?
1: No, I live in Central London, but um, I've got the horse um in Hertfordshire. So okay. I I drive there probably four times a week and um, train him.
0: That's nice. And and is that is that one of the things that you do to kind of de stress? Because you know you obviously with a very intense. Uh, role that you've got right now, yeah. Um, is that is that quite is, is that probably like your number one way of of sort of uh, of, of letting go?
1: Completely. Um, if anyone knows what my horse is like, he's pretty wild, and um, he makes me focus and he makes me be present when I'm there. So I have to switch off, otherwise he'll put me on the floor. Yeah. So. It's really, and, and I think that's a really good thing. Like he's a challenge. I, I trained him from scratch. He's never been ridden before. Um, and now he's doing really well. But the key, what he did for me, was bring out a balance of life. And I, I missed that. I When I came out of horses, it was very much I was traveling. I was going out. I was seeing friends, doing lots of different things, going to the gym. But nothing ever touched my soul like a horse does.
0: Yeah, and I mean, look, the I'm not personally a very horsey person, but I I'm very close to people who are in, into their yeah. horses, and yeah, there's there, there's something that they you know for those people there's something quite special and quite magical, and I, obviously clearly it's it's the same for yourself. So, yeah. um, so so do you? So you've broken in. You must have broken in quite a fair few horses then, especially as part really? of your process of of, of get uh, of uh, of getting noticed in your in your teens, um. Mm-hmm what's that like how do you I mean I appreciate that a lot of people are coming to listen to you because they want to hear about you the successful property developer but <laughs> there's so much of, about the essence of who you are it, it comes probably comes from those days what 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 is it like when you when you break in a horse you know I, I mean what 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 are, you, what are your emotions what, what are you experiencing getting on a horse that's never been ridden before
1: well, you do a lot of groundwork to start with and um, build up that connection with the horse and you start training them on the ground um, by lunging them, long reining them, and then you lean over them, etc. So you you build that up and then you're teaching them on the ground how to steer, etc. And then obviously the first time you get on the horse, you're thinking, "Am I, how long am I going to survive in case it goes ballistic? And that's happened many times. Um, and I've learned to have a very good seat. Um, but there's times I've hit the floor, um, but it's it's a really rewarding feeling. That's what I would say. It's it's it can you can be quite fearful of it, but at the same time, with the experience and knowledge that I have, I sort of know how to manoeuvre and how to know sort of predict of what they're going to do. So I find it really rewarding. I love starting anything from scratch. And and building it up to a good level.
0: So um, so I don't know if you're a fan of the TV show Yellowstone, but uh, my wife and I've been watching that uh, a, a, that a lot recently. And uh, there's a a character in the show called Jimmy, and Jimmy comes onto the far, comes onto the, the the ranch, and he'd never ridden a horse before. And and they and they essentially they they I think they play a trick on him, and they and they they get him to break in a horse, and they effectively tape him. They tape him, uh, his hands uh, to the saddle um, yeah. and uh, or to like the stump on the saddle, and so he's he's taped in, and so effectively the him and the horse have no choice but to sort of just go at it for uh, <laughs> you know for hours and hours and hours. Um, so I was just wondering if if that was ever a tactic that you employed when you were breaking in a horse or. Well,
1: <laughs> I can't say I would. I I was known for if, if the horse fell over, that's the only way to get me on the floor. Um, okay back then because I've ridden so many horses now I would say look, my seat's not bad it's not as good as it used to be but look I was doing eight ten horses a day so
0: yeah you, you're uh, yeah there, there'd be very few people who have the the skill as a rider that you would right so um uh and particularly yeah. as someone is you're doing you know, doing jumps as well so you're you're used to sort of being aerial and airborne for for a while I mean it just yeah. you know just talking about the mindset um you know my conclusions from that that period of your life is that um you're you're clearly you clearly have an appetite for risk you know you're not you you know you're 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 a brave woman um and obviously you're quite tall so you're you, you would have been on quite large horses i'm guessing a lot of the time um yeah. so uh as you know so so you know you you really do have to be brave it's not like some shetland pony that you're having to break in here um
1: they're the worst
0: <laughs> I, I had a feeling you were going to say that actually uh um, they are
1: do... i had a miniature shetland and i oh, i drove me mad it used to just run at you
0: <laughs> yeah so just ju- just 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 to, just to mess with you right uh so but you know it's, it's like you're willing to take risk but you're but it feels like they're calculated risks you've done you've, you've done your planning you've done your your preparation, yeah. So when you break in a horse, when you break in a horse, you, Victoria, you're not just yeah. getting on the horse. uh, You know, uh, you're not telling someone to put a saddle on a horse and just getting yeah. on it without, you know, without trying to build a relationship up with it. And there's just so many interesting parallels there that I think uh, I think you can learn for for life and business more generally, which is you know build your relationships, take your time, do your preparation. Uh, do your preparation, and then you can take on the risky behavior. Don't just jump into the risky behavior without without any preparation. Um, I, I think just I think it's um, I think it's so it's so interesting and um, so fascinating. And, and you know, for, for those those of our listeners know that I'm uh, I, I'm not don't have the best relationship with horses myself. I like them, they don't like me so much. Um, so I'm always a little bit in awe of people who are uh, who are accomplished riders and, and know how to master. Um, master riding a a horse um it's
1: taught me so many lessons and i think what it's done as and it's been embedded in me from such a young age that's what i've brought through into my business today and really that's patience commitment responsibility um you've got to be tenacious Look, I've got a hundred stone animal I took him to the vets the other day and they weighed him and they said he's a hundred stone I thought you don't even want him standing on your foot and um, but the one thing he does teach horses teach is teach you love and kindness and that's really important because in any situation they're very unpredictable animals and you can't tell a horse what to do you've got to Goad it a bit, but it's it comes from knowledge. It comes from your aura. It comes from how you treat the horse and um, and with authority as well as kindness.
0: yeah uh, i've I've heard I've definitely definitely heard that before, and you know the, the, remember El Marie was talking about how um, the horse is a very good judge of ca- horses are very good judges of character, and they really pick up on. Um, the nature of the person that's riding them, and I guess if you're, you know, if you go in, if you approach a horse with with sort of less than honourable intentions, the horse can pick up on that straight away. So, um, yeah, really, uh, really interesting insights there. And um, you know, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be some of our listeners who are who <laughs> who, uh, who are interested in horses or have a passion for horses, and for that, uh, for whom that will that will resonate. Um, yeah. Okay, so successful horse trader you just lost the 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 passion for it and you you find your way into a state agency um how did you end up in St John's Wood you know you're obviously you're a country girl um you know and and then you find your way into you know probably one of the uh you know most high-end property markets in the country um if not London um how, how how does that come about you know how come you didn't end up in some high street estate agent in in Hertfordshire, for example.
1: I did. I started off in okay. Beresovice in Chesen. I lasted three months there, and I remember going to my first property. Didn't have a clue what I was doing, and they they my first viewing ended up going into. They ended up buying it at the asking price. So I was like, "Wow, this is easy." <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, how, how, and i remember them saying how does the boiler work i said i don't have a clue ask the owner and
0: um <laughs> it's probably the most fantastic response actually it's not trying to brag it
1: <laughs> honesty is the best policy so i then i stayed there three months and i was it's like what i said with the horses i wanted to be around the entrepreneurs i wanted to be with the high-end people um because eventually i wanted to be like that so I called a recruitment company up and I said, look, I want a job in town and I want to be earning this type of money. Um, can you he said, you've got no experience. You come from Hertfordshire. Um, how are you going to do this? I said, it's fine. Just set up the interviews and I promise you, you will earn your commission. So that's what he did. And then I got a job in St. John's Wood for a independent estate agency.
0: Which, uh, which agency was that at, just out of interest?
1: It was called the Estate Company on Abbey Road.
0: Okay, not so, so not, not the
1: Estate Office. Not the, the Estate, estate Office.
0: Yeah, no. Okay, yeah. fine. A, a good good friend, uh, Daniel Minsky, uh, one yeah. of the owners of Estate Office today. Uh, okay, the Estate Company, right? Okay, and so how how long were you there for for then?
1: Five years. So Five years. Okay. Yeah, yeah. From two thousand and nine. So I basically was selling one bedroom flats um, up to. Ten million pound houses, and quite, uh, quite a range, isn't it? Yeah, I remember going and seeing a shoebox. I would call it back then for five hundred thousand. When I'm like, you can be in Hertfordshire back then for five hundred thousand by a three bedroom house. I just yeah, couldn't sure. get my head around it to start with, but then look, you adapt to the market, you understand the market, etc., and then you start selling. I did really, really well. Um, I loved it, but. And I met some fantastic people, but then I wanted to move into property development. And there was a woman called Doris Eshak who had an office directly above. And I always used to look at her and say, I want to be like her. And um, I met her and I turned around to her and said, I want to come and work for you. And she said, that's really sweet, but she declined me. And... (laughs) um, And she said you're in there, she said, there's something about you, but you're too much of a risk, and it's a very shark world, and you've got no experience. So I remember seeing the guy that she employed over me, and I was upset. And then I was like, okay, I'm not gonna get upset. I'm gonna show you. So me being my determined self, um, started speaking to developers and selling development deals and I used to get deals off her and I ended up doing a deal with her. Then I got an instruction in St John's Wood, which is a development deal, and I sold it. And then she started hearing my name that I was selling these deals. And then she came to me and said, do you want to come and work for me now? And I said, now, what's the price? So (laughs) it was great. And I ended up going to work for Doris um, for two and a half years, and that's where we met on the um, right. networking circuits.
0: Yeah, that's right. We met. We met in Mipham, uh Probably not not too long before you left uh, left working for Doris. So yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of like in terms of the time that the time that you were um at the estate company, um, so you joined in two thousand and nine. That's obviously just just after Lehman Brothers' the start of the uh, global yeah. financial crisis, or I say start, you know, like the real middle of the yeah. global financial crisis, through to 2014, that's, you know, that market would have been very different all, all the way through. Um, you know, how do, do you think that there was a, an element of fortune about your timing, just being going in when things were going in, cutting your teeth and learning when, you know, when the market was a bit more t- a bit tougher and then you know maybe buying for a few clients in you 09 10 maybe 11 and then as the market shifted on maybe shifting selling some sites for clients um it, you know t- towards the the end of your time do you think that that, that timing uh, and the, the rising market, you know, I think house prices in London doubled from between about 2009 and 2016. So do you think that that riding that wave was 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 a benefit to you or, or do you think you would have been you would have been, made the success regardless?
1: Totally. Look, it was it was a very challenging time for me, actually, um, working in St. John's Wood. One, I didn't know the area. Um, and when I went for the interview, they said, you know, the area and they were gobsmacked that I'd never been to Regent's Park or anything. But it's yeah. I just didn't come from London. Um, but so it enabled me to learn the market, learn the different properties and the different areas. So it gave me a bit of breathing space. But I was up at the bottom of the curve when the market was starting to come up. Um that recovery was quite quick, I would say. Um, and yeah, I, I noticed so. I, I wouldn't I noticed to see that from 2010 to 2014 I would say it was going up crazy like 11% a year mm. and um, look I loved it um, and I met so many interesting people and it was the people that I wanted to meet but I spoke when I sold to people I generally cared what they were looking to buy and it was their home and a lot of uh, people ask, like, what are you looking for? But I would ask questions like, what do you use your second bedroom for? Um, why do you want this location, et cetera? So I'd really know the person so that when I called them, they would know, they would pick up the phone to me for one and they would generally drop everything to come and see a house that's off market.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, we're always trying to get to the essence when we talk to Guess like yourself as to kind of what the secrets to, to success were. Right? Clearly, in your case, it's, you, you've got an appetite for risk, um, but I think you also, you, you know, I think you've got a real passion for things and you really care. Um, and so, clearly, you know, being willing to go the extra mile and and and, and do things for people uh, will clearly make a big difference, and uh, will make a big difference. And obviously, is part of the reason why you connect so well with uh, with people in, in the property industry, as a, and it, which is a naturally a Uh, you know a a people-to-people business?
1: That time in St John's Wood was very challenging Um, and it's one because I didn't know the area and a lot of people underestimated me as well and I I remember this one of this agent and it never it's always stuck with me he just said to me why don't you just get back on your tractor and get back to the countryside and I was like wow that's a comment and obviously it was quite hurtful at the time but because I've got that mindset where it's just like, OK, I'll prove you wrong then and I won't show you, um, meaning by I get upset, I will just beca- it, it it pushes me to become better. I never put people into categories. I think um, I just treat people how I want to be treated. So to me, it doesn't matter where you're from. It's how we're going to work together and be successful
0: yeah no absolutely and i think that's the right, listen at the end of the day that's that's the right way to approach it and and you know fundamentally the best business people they don't they don't see you you know they don't see color they don't see gender they just you know at the end of, if you you are you just if you're good at what you do if you if you add value it doesn't matter what you look like or how you sound people yeah. are going to want to work with you it's just you know, it, it, you know, the, the most, the most powerful, you know, if, if we were American, we'd be saying the most powerful colour is green. Uh, do you know what I mean? You know, that, that's, that's the colour that only, that's the only colour people really care about. Um, All right. So, but, you know, so, so you end, end up working with, working with Doris. Um, And I, I think you, you, you built quite a strong relationship with Doris over, over the years before you worked for her and then, and then working with her when you, you know, when you were going to leave working with Doris, what, how did she respond to that? How, what was her approach in that situation?
1: No, I love Doris, and Doris to this day is still a very close friend of mine. Um, it was sad because I sat next to her, and I would say she really invested in me and taught me a lot. A lot. Um, we used to go out to all the networking events. I used to sit with her, pick her brains every single day, write things down. Uh, learn her patter so it just became at the end I still loved it and look I'm a deal junkie I love doing deals it's a buzz um and when I was there I learned lots of Doris and also in order to do do a deal you need to know your client so I used to when I was out there networking I've got a very inquisitive mind So generally, I would be out there speaking to all these different developers, whether they're building three houses or 600 flats. And I would be asking them, how do you do it? How are you funded? Um, Who's the decision maker? Um, What's your build cost? Um, What's your internal process? And I would literally and I said, don't treat me like an agent. Treat me like your business partner, because when I find you a deal, you're going to want to do the deal because I've already worked the deal out for you. So that's really how I built my knowledge in property development with Doris. When I um, said to her, look, I want to depart ways, it was very sad and emotional. um, But I said, we're going to still carry on working together in the future. But I said, I just don't want to be an agent anymore. I want to build my own development company. And here's an opportunity. And she was like, no, why don't we build something together? And I said, Doris, I'm always going to be your number two, and I'm never going to be a number one. So I said, if this doesn't work out, I've got to follow my gut. And I I wanted to be a property developer, not an agent anymore. So I had to follow it. And I said, look, if it doesn't work out, then maybe you'll have me back. Or maybe I'll go and be an agent at all the other big companies. But I've got to take that risk and follow my heart. And she really respected that. And look, I'm still very close to Doris today and we'll help each other out. And I think it was the key of, look, is respect and loyalty. And um, we ended on really good terms.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I clearly be, you know, Doris being um, very highly regarded and well-known in the property development land space in London. Um, yeah. You know, she's someone you obviously want to stay on the right side of. Um, <laughs> you, know, you want to stay on the right side of everyone, really. And I guess that, but I think you clearly went about um, leaving Doris in the right way, and you yeah. you managed to sort of part on good terms, which is clearly always uh, a- always something that we would all want to do with the best intentions. It doesn't always work out like that, of course, but um, but clearly you've managed to stay in, in, on good terms with her. So, um, Camrose. I guess that's the that that's the next stage in the journey, and I guess the, the the bit that we're going to focus on now. Um, yeah. So, you know, you, you know, s- 2017 when, when you when you left DI Properties, um, you never put a brick on a brick, so to speak. When you, <laughs> well, you well you, well you well you well well you might have done, but you know, not not, not <laughs> in the way not the, certainly not the way you're doing now. Um, talk us through talk us through the stages of evolution. How did you, you know? because you how, know, did as, it at,
1: start? How, how did it
0: start <laughs> you know you didn't have experience how did you finance things? how did you finance your developments how, how, I mean clearly you had a good network good network in terms of finding sites a good relationship with Doris doesn't wouldn't have wouldn't done any harm on that in that respect but how, how did you go about finding your first sites how did you go about funding them how did you deal with the fact that you didn't have any experience as well in in, in the development space other than selling them selling the sites themselves
1: So, as I mentioned to you back in, I think it was like 2011, I met my business partner today, Simon. And um, he was buying one-bedroom flats from me. And then he had a a dream. He wanted to be a property developer. But he had the financial backing behind him um, more than me. So, where he put his own money and a consortium of investors together. So, I said to him, look. And in 2015, before I went to uh, work for Doris, he said, come and work for me. And I said, no, you're too small for me. I want to go bigger. And he said, "Okay." I said, look, maybe we'll work together in the future. But I really want to know how the big boys do it. And if we're going to do it, we're going to go big. So I said, let me go and get my experience. And maybe in two or three years time, if we're on the same page, we'll do it together. So he went and got his experience and funding by starting off buying and I, I sold them these, him these properties, whether it was a two bedroom flat that you can convert into a three bed or we, he did eight studios, which turned into three flats and then built a block of flats, a new build block for five flats. So he built his way up. So that enabled him to get relationships with banks, track record and enabled us to put a fund together. So he, he got probably 50 properties under under his belt. Um, and then the time 2017 came, I said, right, are you ready to put this together now? So really, he had the he had um, the funding line. With the banks and he had the construction knowledge, whereas my knowledge is finding sites and selling. Um, I'm a salesperson and I very much have a um, the vision. So our business relationship complements each other very well. Here's the numbers man, I'm the vision. So
0: okay and and so so talk us through then, you know, the first the first sites that you acquired together and then how, you know, I suppose how how that went and, you know, and I suppose maybe some of the challenges that you experienced as well along the way.
1: So we bought the first site in Kilburn Which was a house with planning permission to build 27 flats, and then we moved on to buy another development um, in Shepherd's Bush, which was a car wash, um, and that was a planning permission to build 30 flats. Um, We did something and did
0: and so you only did you only buy sites which had planning, or or did you did you did you try and option up sites as well?
1: No, only bought with planning.
0: Okay. Um, so you didn't take planning yeah. risk.
1: No, no. We we focused on what our expertise was and who the consultants were around us at the time, and we've yeah. we've carried on with that model. And today, if you speak to any of the agents, if um you're looking to um sell a site between forty to hundred units with planning, they they would say sh- she's number one call when um she's buying because I say what I'm going to do and I perform.
0: Yeah. So, OK, so you're um, so, so in terms of the and so the sites that you that you bought in the early days and I suppose coming through to today, what's the model been? Has it been have you built and retained or have you looked to buy and sell the uh, buy, build and sell?
1: The model has always been buy, build and sell. and we, We've got a fund we're FCA regulated, so we've got investors um, sitting behind us um we started off small so 27 flats to build then 30 then it went to 39 no 38 um and now the the largest site i bought um, a year ago was to build 71 flats with commercial so it's always about that journey and also when you go bigger you've really got to understand your market and understand your model and your consultants etc and when you go bigger you have to change your consultants. You change the banks that you work with, and you've got to have the experience in order to do that. And look, there are challenging thing times. I think we've had the most challenging times in the past twelve months.
0: Are you talking about changes to interest rates and the combination of interest rates and and bill costs, or, or something else?
1: Look, um, everything's a knock on effect from twenty twenty. Look, you've got COVID, you've got Brexit, you've got the Ukraine war. You've got construction and um, labour interests. You've got inflation, the cost of living, um, interest rates. Have I missed anything off? <laughs> uh,
0: I, I mean, maybe, but uh, nothing, nothing important. <laughs> um, but it, it, it just, but, but looking at that in in context, really. So, you know, the moment you're building out 400 units, presumably, you, are these all to sell, or you're going to retain any yes. of those all to sell? Yeah,
1: they're all to sell
0: and what and what is uh, and what is um what what is the what does the future look like in terms of in terms of your outlook because obviously you you've grown from these sort of 25 30 unit schemes and now doing you know nearly 100 unit schemes uh what does the future look like for you you know if if someone's someone's got a development site and they're and they're listening to this podcast or' watching the podcast what should they be sending you what should they be telling you what, what t- types of deals should people be sending you uh, victoria?
1: So I'm only looking for sites with planning to build between 40 and 100 units. I like yeah. to keep as that mid-range developer, um, as opposed to one of the big house builders. Yeah. Um, so I like to keep that niche in the market. I would say um, the next two or three sites is going to be buy, build, sell. Mm-hmm. Um, But then I will then move into the buy, build, rent market.
0: Okay. Uh, with yeah. the idea that you will ret- you'll retain the units? Uh, yes. And, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what's and and what and what does you know what does what does five years time look like? What is your what is your aspirations for five years time? I mean, if you're going to retain units, how big do you would would you foresee your your portfolio to be?
1: So we would be looking to when we start. So look, we, we're a fund, so I have to finish this fund first before I can move into the next fund. So yeah. the next fund would be the build to rent, mm-hmm. and that's going to be buying between three or four sites a year, and again between forty and hundred units. Um, It's going to be to sell off the affordable and sell off the commercial and retain the private units um, and just build a a passive income, really. And then maybe look to sell that in the future in seven years time, because we're we're aiming to do a seven year fund. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So, yeah, it could be anything between 500 to 1,000 units.
0: okay. Okay, uh, and, and you'd look to use. It, and you're going to, in terms of the fundraising, are you're you going to continue to work with the same investors that you you you're working with at the moment, or are you look, or will you be looking to expand the uh, expand the network of, of investors that that come into the fund and, and have a bigger fund?
1: Look, uh, yes, look, the fund that we'll be looking to raise, and I've already had conversations with a few of the pension funds, and that's going to be um, circa two hundred million, um, which we've been looking to raise. And we've had um, look, the conversations I had have been really good and positive, um, but we're just not um, at that stage yet to take it forward because I need to finish this fund first.
0: Yeah, and and, and um, I mean full disclosure, uh, April Capital is is currently helping you um, finish uh, finish off a, a, a couple of schemes as well. So uh, we're obviously delighted and excited to be part of that journey and, and and hopes can and hope we can continue to help and support you on that journey but I mean if you were do you ever pinch yourself though when you think that you know when you probably when you're you know shoveling some shit in uh in, in a stable <laughs> you know in a stable somewhere you know went back when you're 14 15 you ever pinch yourself and you think god you know how, how, did, I, how did I end up here with you know potentially a 200 million pound uh property development fund um I mean you know potentially having uh, you know overseeing an empire of a thousand uh, you know thousand plus uh rented property units like do you know do you ever do you ever pinch yourself and go oh my goodness how did how how did I end up here
1: I think if I actually thought about the the pressure and everything that I have on my shoulders I might crumble (laughs) but um I love it I just I just live and breathe it um I never re- I'm not someone that really looks back ever. I'm just such a forward thinker. So, yeah, look, our, our portfolio at the moment that's under construction is close to 300 million. Um, so it's really impressive what we've built in the past five years. But um, I never seem to think... I just think, what's next? And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I just love moving forward.
0: I mean, what I love is that... Um you know, in the context of, you know, let's call it a 20 year journey um, fr- from, you know, from the, the start of your, your equestrian career through to now, I suppose, you know, plus minus a few years. Um, you know, it, what it tells you is that um, what can be, you know, how much you can achieve in in actually what is a relatively short period of time. And of course, if you, if, if, if you, if you, if you'd spoken to your 16 year old self and said, right, you're gonna. You need to be a. You're gonna be a. You know, property developer with a thousand units. Yeah. A thousand units. I think the the idea of it, like you say, would be really daunting. But the thing is that you know the the road to success is is just a lot of incremental steps. You know, the most the hardest the hardest step in the journey is is that first step. And clearly, you you know you 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 as we've established, you're quite willing to take the risk and make that make that first step. It's then. But but clearly what you're able to do that maybe catches a lot of people out who give up along the way is just keep putting your foot, one foot in front of the other um, and, and just keep going and 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 try and see things through to a conclusion.
1: I also think it's about surrounding yourself with the right people and. Learning from others, but and then making it your own. I think the key is. Look. People will say to me, are you a surveyor? Have you got a degree? Have you got any of this? And I was saying, no. My life is built on pure knowledge and hustle and really learning off others. And only, I love learning. I love growing. I love progressing. And I've surrounded myself with some amazing people. And people have given me opportunities and helped me. Look, I'm a massive believer. There are opportunities absolutely everywhere. You've just got to have your eyes open and don't let fear stop you because go out there make a mistake. Look, you have to make mistakes to learn. That's the only way you're going to win in life. Everything is a journey. Don't be fearful of the nose. Nose can um, sometimes are a good thing because what you need to do is really narrow down of who you are and where you want to go in life. And it yeah. really comes back down to knowing your, following your true self.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's also something that's very evidence comes across is you know you're you're clearly very true to yourself, and um, but but you're right. I mean, there are you don't you don't learn that many lessons from success. But you you learn far more far more from from failures, and you know it, it, you know fail f- fail learn fail learn, and, and eventually the success will follow. And um, clearly, that's been a, a a big aspect of your life. Um, you know, as 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 willingly as you were to sort of uh, you know make it sound at the beginning of our conversation like it all sort of displayed very naturally. It was very easy, as as is quite apparent. Uh, you know, when when you're sitting on the roadside on the A1 with th- uh, twelve tons of carrots, um, you yeah. know th- there have been some pretty interesting uh, some pre- pretty interesting turns on the.
1: You have to laugh and just think it's fun. Like, life is a game to me, and I think just enjoy it. You're going to have bad times, you're going to have good times, but just embrace it. Um, look, the last 12 months, and I was saying January this year, was extremely, extremely challenging, and people have all said to me, where the hell have you been? Because I've literally had my head um, buried. And that's because of everything that I've had. Contractors go past, I've had banks that want to pull out. I've had um, poor um, cash flow management. I've had poor project construction management, you name it. And Simon and I sat at the beginning of the year and we got an A3 bit of paper and said, What are the problems and how are we going to deal with it? You should never, ever bury your head because it'll just get worse. And literally just hit them head on and say, Right, and break it down. I think the key is with everything is communication and sometimes people will not like what you're going to say but they'll value it and they'll respect it and you say look we're in it together and how we're going to get out of it and there was times where i was acting as a cfo or a project manager i was down on site um before the help to buy deadline painting flaps because i I needed to motivate the builders and say, come on, we've got to meet this deadline. Otherwise, people aren't going to be able to complete on their flats. So it's really getting amongst it. And sometimes you just got to roll your sleeves up and just hit things face on. And that's what we've done. And that's how you build up trust. That's how you build up the respect and the the industry. And it's really about delivering on your promises.
0: Yeah I, mean, I I love that anecdote about you going in there probably with the with the with the roller on ahead of the help to buy deadline I mean cuz I mean you talk about Simon being the sort of construction and funding um yeah. specialist in your uh, in your team but um I remember coming to see you a few months ago and and um ahead of us closing a a transaction and you you said uh, you were you were telling me about some of the challenges you were experiencing and how you had to fire um you know, you had to fire, I think, an accountant, um, if, if memory serves me correctly, uh, or some, someone on the construction side, you had to fire them. You effectively had to step in and do the job for them. Um, so it sounds to me like you, you know, you, you know, yes, you, you don't have any formal qualifications from an academic standpoint, but, you know, you are, you are you, you're so determined to get in, roll your sleeves up, as you say, learn and, um, and, and get the job done one way or the other.
1: I am not someone that takes things lightly and it's my human side where we all have to win together. And if you don't have the same, I say, morals and values and the outlook, then that's really where you see the hurdles and you've got to surround yourself by the right people. And that's a real key. And And the people around you want to, and I, you said it to me, um, build career, build careers. And we made those changes. We've seen them. We made. We adapted, and it's really look. It's it's really come off. And but you've got to go through those painful times in order to think. Well, again, your your eyes are a lot more wide open.
0: Yeah, uh, with, without question. Um,
1: look, you, look, you're a bank. And
0: um uh, well, I'm we, sure we're, we're, well just just for regulatory purposes, just to clarify, we are not a bank. Uh, <laughs> we're we're a non-bank lender, but yes, we, we do similar things funder. to a bank. We're a funder, yes.
1: We're a funder, uh, sorry. Um But I think the key um, as being a funder, you really want to know and as an investor, how are you going to deal with the issues? Because it's not plain sailing um, property development. And it sounds great when I'm pitching to you and we're going to make this amount of money and et cetera. But there's always a hurdle. There's always something that crops up. And really, you're investing in the individual of you. You feel that actually they're going to come out of it the other side because really you're partnering up together.
0: Yeah, I mean, look. At the end of the day, um, particularly in development finance, it's a bit different on the bridging side, I'd say. But I think in development finance, there is a there is a very strong element of partnership that's involved. Um, you know, once as soon as you know, as soon as you, especially if you, let's say you're you're redeveloping a, a an existing building that's got some inherent value. As soon as you start getting that wrecking ball out or the proverbial wrecking ball out, um. You know the value of your security will is, will go down before it starts to go up, and so mm. your fate's very much intertwined with that of the of, of the developer and the sponsor that you're working with, um, and yeah, you, you've got LTV covenants and LTC covenants and all the rest of it. But you know you can't get away from the reality of the fact that you're, you know you 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 are ultimately in partnership with the with the developer and the person that mm. the, you're, you're seeking to fund, um, yeah. and so and that's why partnering with someone like yourself um, it, for us is a very natural, uh, is a very natural thing because, uh, we know, <laughs> I mean, just, just knowing you, uh, knowing you over the years and knowing your journey, you know, you're just going to get the thing done. You're going to get the job done and it's going to, you're going to see it through. And like you say, you know, one of the reasons why people want to, want to work with you is because why people want to sell sites to you is because when you say you're going to do something, you're going to go and do it. And, um, I I don't want to ask the questions. I don't always want to know how you're going to get the job done, because maybe that's sometimes these things are sometimes better left unsaid. But at the end of the day, if you know someone's going to get the job done, uh, they're going to get the job done. I mean, I I actually look back and, you know, I remember a a developer we funded many years ago. And, um, you know, I I think in some ways, you know, they 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 got they they delivered something uh, and got us out of the loan, despite massive adversity and and probably a great in some ways great cost to them individually um and you know in hindsight we probably could have been uh more sympathetic to them but because yeah. of uh, pressures external pressures that we were facing we didn't have the control or the ability to do so um but actually now i look back and i realize that if i had the opportunity to work with those people again I'd absolutely 100 percent work with them again because they're the type of people like yourself who will get the job done and they'll see and they'll see things through. Um, I want to go...
1: also being upfront with everyone as well and say, look yeah. hold on a minute, we've ha- we've hit a hurdle. this is how we're going to uh, deal with it. Um, we might need a little bit of extra time, but this is how ha- how can we work together to get to the next step and and you'll be more receptive to come to us and say, okay, let's work out a plan.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, one hundred percent. I think
1: so many people you know, bury their heads, and I've seen it, and I, and especially this turbulent time. The one thing I watch is people's character. I've seen people run, blame, hide, um, or stand next to me and say, "Let's let's get this done." And I think ultimately, it's really down to people's characters.
0: I, I agree with that. I think the one of the one of the things that I really value is. it's anyone can tell someone good news it's someone who's willing to be honest and front up and give you bad news and and not sugar you know and not sugarcoat it um you know the, the worst thing is pretending pretending for months and months and months that everything's fine and then all of a sudden you have this you have this realization that there's an issue there's a problem your perception of how you perceive that person can get destroyed in an in an instant if you feel that they've, you know, kind of obfuscated um, the true reality of of the situation where, um, you know, whereas if if you're upfront, as soon as as soon as there's bad news, it's always best to deliver that bad news early. And then you and then you say, right, OK, great. Well, not great. You say, OK, fine. <laughs> what's the what's the plan? How are we going to deal with this? OK. And most of the and, the, and that's the crazy thing is that almost 99.9 percent of the time if you deal with a problem early enough it's not fatal it's a bit like health health issues right if you if you address a, a health issue early enough it's not it, it it's not going to be fatal it's the same in business if you address the, a problem early it won't be fatal the, things become fatal when you when you leave when you when you raise the fact that they are a problem at the last minute um you know before you kind of hit the point of no return and and that becomes an absolute nightmare
1: i think um, it's going to face people right, and say look the shit's hit the fan this is how we're going to deal with it and are you in or are you out? Because I need to. I need loyalty. I need to know that you're by my side. And are we going to make this happen, or am I going to have to find someone that is going to be by my side and and do stuff? And that and that comes down to whether it's the contractors, the project managers, the banks. You name it. It's like let us be in it together.
0: Yeah. Well, one hundred percent. Um, I'm, I want to go off to a slightly different tangent. Um, and you know, j- just talk about like I suppose you know you're a successful woman in the property industry how do you fit you know how do you how do you feel about female representation in the property industry um do you think there are enough do you think enough is being done by companies to in encourage female representation or actually do you take a different view which is there's as much female representation as there needs to be you know and and women aren't coming into the property industry because actually they're not as interested uh all the time you know what's what's your take on that
1: look i love a strong powerful woman um and i respect that but i never look at anything whether you separate men from women i just look at the individual and and think are you right for the job and are you going to do the job well um i actually um have got many women working for me my cfo is a woman um, I've got a project manager who's a woman, um, so I've got many women working for me, um, but do I do that because I want to have, empower women? I love empowering women, but I just look at it thinking, I'm employing you because I know you're the best person for the job, so it's not because whether you're a man or a woman. And,
0: and do you think, uh, do you, th- do you think, the, um, being a young woman, A young woman or younger woman in the property industry or property development world, do you think that that's helped you, or do you think that that's hindered you, or kind of, or or a or a mix of the two?
1: A mix of the two. When I first started in, and I remember my first event at MIPIN, um I would have to get your attention within ten seconds of what I would say to be taken seriously, Um, because I was very looked down at looked looked down at because one I was young um and two I would say some people looked at me and, she doesn't know what she's talking about or she's just a PA or um something like that and that's nothing against PAs but it's just no one really thought I was anything that I didn't know, I wouldn't know what I was talking about so when I was out networking I would literally have to come out and get your attention pretty quick um so at the beginning it was hard now careless
0: no but now now i suppose you're established and you don't have to you don't have to fight that um you uh, you, you don't have to fight the stereotype as as hard um no i think it's
1: been comfortable within yourself really yeah but that comes with experience
0: yeah i think well i guess if anything you know if, if anything was apparent is clearly you you're you're comfortable and at ease in your own skin uh so you know that's that's obviously uh something to be something to be appreciative of and, and and actually i think a lot of people will be in awe of that because a lot of people aren't comfortable in their own skin um and it takes you know from my own experience it takes a long time to really be comfortable with who you are um and may, maybe a lot of people still 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 even into their 40s and 50s still aren't comfortable with who they are in their own skin
1: I won't say I'm one hundred percent comfortable with my own skin, but I do a lot of work on self-growth and self-development and looking inwards. Um,
0: what what does that What does I, that look like if if I can ask? Do you have a co- do you have a performance coach or do you have someone you work with or a mentor that you you talk these things through? or
1: yeah, I've spoken to coaches over a period of time, um different coaches. Um, but ultimately, the answers come within and you, you really have to just break things, you know, I believe you know the answers deep down, you've just got to be able to keep breaking and breaking, keep asking yourself, why is that, why do I feel that, what about that, and what, what is that bringing up, what emotion is that bringing up, and um, why am I acting that way, why am I reacting that way, is it my ego, or is it because of something else, um, so it's, it, again, I just find everything is about breaking things down, and actually being honest with yourself and those conversations with yourself are very hard sometimes
0: yeah but you know what though there's a there's a real maturity to the stuff that you're talking about because um I think a lot of the time and, and a lot of this I've I've learned recently through my own performance coach Lloyd um and some of the reading that I've done um you, you know it, this sort of self-awareness that you have this and, and questioning these points it's very it's actually very hard and very deep work that, that you'll have done to to come to these conclusions um so much of you know so much so much of, uh, of the decisions that we make and the way that we um you know this sort of self-image that we uh that we put out there is a function of ego and so much of our ego comes from the myths uh the myths and stories that we've inherited from the environment around us or our parents or some other strong influences in our lives yeah. you know and, and and these these narratives that we carry through with us and and it's as you mature and i guess you are kind of getting to get, into, get i suppose you 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 get into that age but you know you you probably arrived at it maybe a bit earlier than a lot of your contemporaries might um where you know where you've had the opportunity to question some of those narratives and question some of those myths um and to understand who you are and, and understand why you're doing these things um you know listen you know full credit to you for for doing that but i think a lot of a lot of people um you know of your age or even my age struggle struggle to do that and they're still i i think they're in denial of the of of their true selves and, and and look as i say even my even in my own circumstances i still i'm, I'm still probably doing things that i shouldn't do that aren't necessarily aren't necessarily true to my truest self um, which is I appreciate very deep. It's
1: trusting it's finding someone you trust that gives you honest advice and there's Mm -hmm. people that I trust that's around me who have said things and I'm like oh did I say that oh did I react like that and then they say you should have said it and actually in first you go you want to react because it's your ego and then second but then you sit back and the noise settles then you go actually that was wrong and if you can omit those things and then grow from those, that's how you become a better person. And I'm all about self-growth and progression and becoming better. So that's not just in business; that's as a person.
0: Yeah, I mean, look at the end of the day, you're you're a hard work hardworking person, and and you will probably be spending, uh, you know, m- you know, ten ten to twelve hours a day at least working. Uh, but you still have you still have a life outside of the workplace as well, right? So you still have yeah relationships with people outside of the outside of business context um and and i agree with that i mean and i've spoken about it before um you know I, I, when i started working with my performance coach and now six years that we've been working together i went in with the idea that i'd be going to he'd be going to be transformational from a business perspective and the first thing we really started working on was actually the relationship that i had at home with my wife with my mm. kids and things like that um and because these are the things because these are the things that mattered, and actually dealing with some of those and and improving those ultimately grew me as a person taught me actually how to have better relationships with people and and then ironically because I maybe developed more social skills and better ability to interact and engage with people um I saw the benefits of that from a business perspective so you know it's just funny how these things uh, how these things work out Um,
1: yeah so I, I um i just i i look at you it all goes around in a circle and things that i really looked at when i was 21 of what i really wanted is it it never really happened um and then you have to go through that journey and then it comes around in a circle and then you go and now i know why it didn't happen and this is where i am today and it actually is so much better so that's why I say with nose and rejection, it diverts you, and everything always comes back round.
0: I often ask I often ask a closing question actually on the podcast as to what you would what you would ask your younger self, um, and I'm actually going to fast forward that a little bit now. Which is, but but I have a feeling you, I actually have a feeling that. You, I know what the answer would be but if you know if you were to give like some self talk to your younger self you know if you were to give some advice to yourself at 16 17 whatever would you know what advice would you give and you know ultimately what would you ch- you know what would you change if anything about the the journey that you've been on
1: I don't think I would change anything um because it's a journey and that's how you build knowledge but what I would I would say believe in yourself And stay on the path that you dream to be and don't let anyone else veer off it. Um, I remember when I first started in the development world and I saw very sharky behavior. And I was like, I was a bit like, whoa, what's going on? This is too Mm. much. It's ruthless. And I remember calling my mom and dad up and going, Do I have to be like this to be successful? And my dad turned around to me and said, No, you just have to be you. And you just it might take you a little bit longer, but longevity is better than a, um, a quick fix. So just be true to yourself, be you deliver on your promises and the rest will come and just have fun with it. But I think sometimes you can get steered off and you can get absorbed with certain people that you're surrounded by. And and I did. I went off on a path um, and was living a, a life which wasn't really truly me. I thought it was me, um, where I was out socialising and um, networking and being in the private member clubs, etc. And it was great. Um, I met so many interesting people. But at the same time, I'm such a, a homely person, a country bunk in And the life that I live now, I love it um, because I'm just settled in myself. But it's really about your self-worth.
0: Yeah I mean like uh, I I you know it's um I, I'm fa- you know I find it fascinating and uh, you know I, I I'm not surprised that you, you know that you wouldn't change a thing I think that you you you're clearly self-aware enough to appreciate the uh, the experience that you've been that you are the product of all the experiences that you've had before um yeah. and, and you know that I think actually I I loved and the self-talk you would have given yourself I, I think I loved it I thought that was great um and f- and fully appreciated that um what's you know do, do you have any particular you know you talked about sharky behavior do you have any um any what, what are sort of professional bugbears at the moment what, what really sort of grinds your gears um you know in at the moment work you know from a work work perspective what are the things that really wind you up
1: the biggest thing that winds me up is when people don't communicate is the my biggest biggest bugbear and um i'm forever telling um people in my um team look I have 15 people working for me and I'm like just pick up the phone don't hide behind emails speak to people just treat people like a human being and um just people just want to be seen they want to be heard they want to be valued they want to be respected and it's the same and I say if you're in their position how would you want to be treated and that's the key um I can't I can't
0: argue with that I I completely agree with the picking up the phone thing um actually one of the things I've uh, things I've got into recently uh probably in the last two weeks uh is on WhatsApp now they have a instead of doing a voice note you can do a video note so there's a minute long video note um and so it's not always convenient to pick up the phone to someone but if you can I I, what I really like is that it's quite personable but you can kind of deliver um quite a personalized personal message and you can see a person's face and you can get you and I think as a method of communication especially as a you know a lot is a bit of a generational thing where um, you know I think people under the age of 30 it's like if you if you actually phone them uh, you know it's possibly the most offensive thing that you could actually do to them you know it's like more than a microaggression or something Um, and actually what's funny is that the you know one of the things that we're having to teach Uh, you know, the the people that work for us at Avermore is is how important picking up the phone is. Because I think that particularly if you're of that generation where everything's a text, everything's an email, you know, it's just hiding behind a keyboard is is a very easy thing to do. And so take them out of that mindset. And I was talking to a guy called um, Rob Jupp, uh, who's one of the is uh, he, probably one of the biggest brokers in um, in the UK in terms of finance broking and uh, or master broker packager and and he he's saying that that's a problem that that they experience and one of the things that they have to train their relationship managers at, at Brightstar is they have to uh, get get their staff uh, used to picking up the phone and, and communicating with people in that very personable way um, so yeah completely completely see where you're coming you from just- on
1: that. You never know um, if you from an email of how someone is feeling or how they're reacting. So you you can gauge that um, from a phone call um, or a meeting. But look, I agree you can't pick up the phone to everyone and speak to everyone. But look, drop them a WhatsApp. Just say, look, I haven't forgotten about you, um, but uh, you'll have this on this time and deliver on the promise.
0: Yeah, I, I, mean, I think that's I think I think it's perfect uh, perfect piece of advice there. Um, you you kind of touched on you know sort of mentors and things like that I know I guess some uh, whether I don't know whether Simon would would feature into that but you know who who, who's who's provided you with guidance and mentorship during your career you know who've been the really key influences um you know in terms of getting getting you to where you are today I'm guess Simon Doris but you know is there anyone else
1: um I would say my biggest rock is my mom and dad
0: yeah okay sounds like you're close to them yeah
1: yeah, really close. Um, no, I have a twin brother as well, um, but he's um different industry and um, has his own family, like has three daughters, he's married. and um, But my mum and dad, they've been my biggest supporters. And my mom is, uh, my dad is always pushing me. Um, and he's like, just go do it. Just go make the mistake. Look, you'll learn from it. And if the shit hits the fan, um, look, you'll go, well, that wasn't right. But How are we going to do it again? And he's all, and it's the same. When I fell off a horse, get straight back up, get back on it. And I think because I've all, I've had that mindset from a kid of hitting the floor, getting back up, hitting the floor, getting back up. That that's where I've managed to be able to take calculated risks. Um, And my mum has always said, nothing ventured, nothing gained, um, and just go for it. So I've had that. Embedded in me as a child,
0: yeah. I mean, look, it's um, it's great to hear, and and it's quite a, it is a common theme. A lot of uh, a lot of the guests that come on the podcast, they are they often cite their parents uh, as key figures uh, in their lives, you know. And I mean, as I said in my ask, ask me anything, you know. Certainly, my own mother is a, you know, talk about strong, independent women. Uh, you know she, she's been a, a, a big feature in that big inspiration from a business perspective and also my father-in-law as well so you know it's a it's a common theme and and, and it's great to hear uh, and keep bit- you
1: grounded look I could go off and live in the fast lane um, but that's truly not me if um, anyone knows me um, I just love being um, in the countryside um, with nature, being with my family, being with my boyfriend or being with close friends. It's just a real closeness to me. Whereas before I was out there networking, building up the empire, building up my network, building up my name. And you have to do that. I, I would, But it, there's certain times I don't have to do that anymore. Um, and I can start to enjoy who I truly am. But look, as I said, everything's been a journey but uh, parents definitely keep me grounded and um, yeah. Do
0: you you see a, you know, do do you see a a time in the near future where you move back to Hertfordshire or back to the country?
1: Yeah, definitely. Look, the the dream was, I live in Marlborough now, um, but the dream was always to have a place um, in Marlebone and then have a place in the countryside with my horses at home um, and have a family. So that's always been my vision. So I haven't bought it yet. I haven't found the right house. Um, got to finish a couple of these development sites first, and then um, perhaps I'll look.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I would, I wouldn't put it, uh, you know, wouldn't put it past you, you know, you r- rock, you know. Uh... Raising hell with uh, with a couple of babies strapped to your hip uh, hips and uh, on, on a building site, you know you'll you'll probably have your kids with paint rollers in their hands uh, before they're two. So, Carmen uh, always
1: says to me, "Oh, uh, if she was in labour, she'll still be on the phone doing a deal." She just loves yeah, I it. could
0: picture that. I could picture that. That's that's <laughs> that's that's absolutely for sure. Um, I mean, you know, I guess we could sort of coming to a point where we can sort of wind things up, but, um, you know, just in terms of you know aside from the horses you know what sort of other things do you do to kind of um you know kind of keep yourself grounded and keep self-centered um you know I I guess sort of non non non-work related stuff
1: um look I work out I do cooking and have friends over etc things like that um love going out for walks in nature traveling um yeah it's a But regarding um, keeping everything aligned, I would say, I'm very conscious of what I eat. And that's not meaning because I watch my weight or anything like that. It's all about what goodness you put in your body to get goodness out. So I'm very mindful of things like that and who you surround your time with. Um, It's really what you put in that you get out. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm obsessed at the moment with cold showers and plunge pools. I just oh yeah I just love that feeling I just it's just my new my new favorite thing
0: yeah well listen uh the the those those people who are who have the misfortune of following me on Instagram will have seen me a few times in, in the cold plunge uh on, on my patio so uh it's been a bit warm it's been a bit warm of late but I, I think that that service will resume pretty soon but uh, i I Probably my favourite uh, cold plunge of the year was when there was snow on the ground and you could see my footprints, my bare footprints uh, getting into the, uh, from the, and I'm, I'm in the cold plunge and I think it's about, it's about minus two out, outside, it's about four degrees in the water. Yeah, I managed about five or six minutes in that, that was, uh, you? yeah, I, I the, actually the thing I discovered is i I've become too acclimatised to the cold, so you don't get the benefit from it, but um. like you talk about um what you eat and what you put in is there anything particular any particular sort of things that you really focus on from a dietary perspective or is it just like just eat good quality stuff
1: eat good quality food um it's very important like i buy fish from the fishmongers um meat from the butchers um i like to eat organic vegetables and fruits i do a lot of juicing um I always do at home those like ginger and um, turmeric and lemon shots. Yeah, it's just really just putting goodness in your body.
0: What about carrots? carrots oh yes,
1: <laughs> I love a carrot juice. <laughs> 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 I know where to get them from. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I, 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 imagine, I imagine the twelve tons. They probably, they, they probably uh, might be past the sell by date these days, but uh, you, I guess you, I guess you still got a good supply of them. Yeah. um well listen on that bombshell uh victoria i think we probably have uh, have run out of time but uh what i would uh, like to do is first of all thank you for coming on and really appreciated you uh you joining us um for our listeners whether they want to reach out to you um maybe they want to want to talk to you about investing in your fund maybe they want to offer you a development site uh or or maybe they just you know want want to um you know show you show their appreciation uh, of you as being you know uh you know, a very inspiring, you know, um, still young, uh, successful female entrepreneur. Um, h- how can someone reach out to you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? You've got social pro- pro- social profiles, emails, websites. W- what's w- what's your preferred method of communication?
1: I think the the place to find me is either on LinkedIn or my website, Camrose London.
0: Okay, perfect. All right. Well, uh, so that'd be com or .co.uk? Uh, dot
1: .com.
0: Okay, cameraslondon.com. Okay, brilliant. Uh, well, Victoria, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been absolutely fascinating. I've loved chatting to you about it. I mean, I already knew it was going to be great and I, I already knew your story was uh, was fascinating and, and very inspiring. Um, but yeah, you, you've definitely haven't let us down. So thanks so much for coming on and um, we'll talk to you again soon.
1: It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, Michael.
0: A big thank you goes out to the official sponsor of the Property Funder podcast, Avonmore Capital, a property bridging and development lender located here in London. They, as much as me, understand the importance of somebody's story and how they got to where they are. Lending on projects from just £250,000 across the entirety of England and Wales, their understanding of all development backgrounds and can help support you at any stage in a scheme, even if you just have one brick down, visit www.avenmorecapital.com to find out more about how they can help you in your development journey. Thanks so much for tuning into this podcast. I hope you can go away having learned something new and even picked up some new things to apply to your day today. Catch us in the next episode for another interesting story.